Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 12 through 26. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Uh, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Give your full attention to it. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Uh, If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in his body, each one of them, as he chose if all were a single member, where would, it, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored... All rejoice together. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin with something very obvious. We live in a divided world. We're divided over so many things, like Apple or PC, liberal or conservative, Marvel or DC, Democrat or Republican, don't answer that one, Coke or Pepsi. We're even divided over our toilet paper, top or bottom. It's top. It's tough. (laughs) But why is the world so divided? Isn't it because we have so many differences? Whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, Native Americans. Forgive me if I left you out. 
Then we have the rich, the poor, and everyone in between. There are the famous, the obscure, the overlooked. And you know what? People's personalities are all just different. So it's not a surprise that the culture we live in is so divided. And what happens when people don't agree with something? People get into a screaming match. Uh, People troll on the internet. I don't know why they think that solves anything, but they do. Or worse, people become violent. They shoot up schools and blow up buildings. But here's the thing. Disagreements and divisions don't just happen out there. They also happen in here. They happen in the church. Why? Because we too have our differences. So the question is, will we be like the world and let them rip us apart? Or will we learn to love each other in our differences? And so here's the main idea I want us to grasp onto this morning. And it's this, that baptism reminds us that we belong in the one body of our Savior, so we must care for one another. Baptism reminds us that we belong in the one body of our Savior, so we must care for one another. And our outline will be like this. Uh, One, one body and many members. Two, unhealthy members. And three, healthy body. Paul's message is clear by the sheer repetition of it. Uh, What does he say over and over in our passage? He says, the body is one, over and over again in these 15 verses. But what does that mean, one body? Uh, I think you have to picture the marriage analogy that Paul uses in Ephesians 5. Uh, Jesus is our bridegroom who unites himself to us As his bride, the two shall become one flesh. And so essentially, Jesus says to his church, flesh of my flesh, uh, flesh of my flesh, and bone of my bone. He unites himself to us. So as his bride, we share his one body. And of course, he's not saying that we literally share the same eyeballs or the same ears. Clearly, it's a metaphor for the community of believers and its unity that they have by virtue of belonging to Jesus Christ. Everyone in Christ belongs to this one body. And Paul wants it to be clear. As with the human body, you know it has many parts, but the body still functions as a single unit. And that's how it should be with us. As Christ's body, there should be unity even within so much diversity. And the reason for this unity is simple for Paul. He says, for, one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now to be baptized is to enter a new reality brought about by the one spirit of God. You go from one identity to another. And baptism, of course, is a symbol of washing and renewal. Uh, But baptism is also a symbol of death. Uh, Romans 6, 
It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And so baptism calls us to die to ourselves. So if you're baptized, it means you are not your own. You belong to Jesus and his body. Uh, But entering this body doesn't require you to be a certain type of person. uh, Because it's not a special interest club or group. You don't need a degree or to be really good at something to enter this body. You don't need need to look a certain way or meet a particular status. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, Paul says, all are part of the same body. You know, race. uh, Race has always been a divisive factor in the history of the church. It's one group elevating itself above others. I like how my former professor puts it. He says, racism is nothing more than collective narcissism. It's dumb and it's incredibly dangerous. There's no place for it in our church. I mean, think about how divisive this was in the church early on. And it still is. Early on, the Jews were the privileged ones. Paul said of them in Romans 9, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, it is the Christ, the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That's why even those who followed their Messiah tended to look down on others. They tended to look down on the Gentiles. That's what Galatians is all about. But Gentile arrogance was also a problem in the body. Gentiles looked down on the Jews. They thought they can just take over the body. That's what Romans is about. You know, systemic racism is alive and well, my friends. Even in our denomination, isn't it? If only John Ernest reflected on his baptism and the unity of Jesus' body in all its diversity, then the shooting in that California synagogue would have never happened. But baptism says, racism has no place in the body of Jesus. To privilege one over another based on skin, pigmentation, and appearance is contrary to to what the church looks like. You know what the church looks like in heaven? Revelation 5. The church in heaven is composed of such worshipers from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's a church. It's a diverse church. And social status is another one of those divisive factors, which usually has to do with how big your bank account is and how respected you are. Uh, Paul talked about this in chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, People were using their wealth to take advantage of others. Uh, The wealthy saw their money as a reason to oppress the poor. And let's be real, that's still happening today. But may it never be that our wealth means higher status 
in the body of Jesus. So Paul wants it to be clear. Race, wealth, and whatever it is are no longer things that separate us. They separate the world, but they should not separate us. Because God, God has put us all in Jesus' body without distinction. We are all nourished and drink from the one Spirit of God. Now, having said that, uh, you might be tempted to think that someone's race and social status no longer matter, that we no longer have differences to deal with. But our distinctions, our unique gifts, our race, our place in the body, they don't disappear. This is why Paul is going to talk about diversity in the body. A foot remains a foot, an eye remains an eye. And so the question is, what do we, what do, we do with our differences? I'll be honest, diversity in the church is hard, and we all know it. It's a big part of the reason why the church is so messy. And so this leads us to our second point, unhealthy members. What happens when we see others and what they can do when they're successful and when we can't do what they can do? Well, often we get depressed, don't we? Because we can't do what they can do. We're not as successful as they are. That's Paul's point when he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, You might have said to yourself at one point, you know, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. I'm not as gifted or talented as that or this person. I must not be significant. But why does being like someone else determine your place in the body? Does it really matter if you're like somebody else? Paul says, that would not make you any less a part of the body. You are not excluded because you are different than somebody else. Paul points out uh, how absurd this is. And uh, when we think like this, it's absurd when he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You know what that means? It means you're not going to be identical to another member in the body. He or she has a different function in the body than you do. But so do you. You are you. As my students at the high school say, you do you, boo. All right? Why would you want to see if you're an ear? Right? It makes no sense. Why would you want to hear if you're a nose? That's not you. You do you. The body functions best when we are who we are. But we all know the problem. We are often discontent with the gifts that God has given to us. Especially when we see gifts that other members have and we do not have. It leads us to despair. But on the other side of despair, when we think 
our gifts, who we are, our all that and a bag of chips, what tends to happen? Our heads get really big, we get arrogant. We think or even say things like, well, you're useless, you're not like me, go do better. Again, this is absurd. It's like your hand saying to your face, I don't like you. You're not as useful as me. I can carry things. You can't. But why do you expect your face to carry something? I wonder how many of us have hurt members in the church of God because we don't think they're good enough. For many of us, this usually has to do with intelligence, especially in the OPC, right? We judge people's worth according to how smart they are and what they have accomplished. But as much as we want it to be, unity isn't about uniformity. I think many of us have that idea that we all somehow need to be identical to be united together. We want others to conform to us, it turns out. But that's not healthy, nor is it safe. So why should we not despair or become arrogant? Uh, Paul says it's because God is the one who puts us where we are. God chooses what gifts we will have and not have. Uh, Paul makes the same point in Romans 12. Listen to this. For, by this. for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, it, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So let me ask you this. If that's the case, What right do we have to belittle another member? If God is the one who arranged our place in the body, can we ever say, too bad, you're not as good as me? Can we ever say that? When we know our gifts and our differences are not because we're so good, but because God is pleased to give them to us, when we know that, then we can learn to be humble then we can actually use our gifts for others and not against others. We will come to know more and more what it means that we are many parts, yet one body. Because no longer will we need to seek validation nor pressure others to conform to our standards. That's good news. Uh, Many of you might know this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. I think it's in a lot of Christian mugs on Etsy. Yes, I look at Etsy once in a while. Well, he said, comparison is the thief of joy. Now, there's a lot of truth in that. But here's the thing. We can't help but to compare ourselves with others. Sometimes the Bible itself calls us to compare ourselves with other people. Paul writer to 1 Corinthians even says, imitate me. That's comparison. So it's not comparison per se that steals joy. It's pride. 
pride is the thief of joy. Because pride cannot enjoy God's gifting to others in the body. Pride is always in competition. Pride is what makes comparison so bad. Pride makes us see ourselves in competition with other members in Jesus' body. You will never be content so long as you have pride in your heart. And so it turns out, despair and arrogance are not all that different, are they? Why? Because they're both an attempt to find our worth in what we do, in our gifts, in our place in the body, instead of in Christ, in God. And so what does it look like then for the body to be healthy, to function as a unit? And so this brings us to our last point, a healthy body. A healthy body of believers, first of all, lifts up the weak. Because according to Paul, you actually can't have a healthy body without such people. Yeah, they seem weak, but they are indispensable, Paul says. They're absolutely necessary. There's no body without them. I mean, think of the private parts of your body. Others hardly ever see them. I hope that's the case, right? With, but without them, you can't have a body. You know, uh, these are the people that don't make it on church websites. They're virtually unseen in the body. They're the widows, the, orf- the orphans, the hurting, the afflicted, the outsiders, the loners, the racially oppressed, the vulnerable, and so on. They're seemingly weak. So if we're going to be a healthy body, then we have to see the seemingly weak parts and honor them most. And so let me ask, do we do that? Do we do, do, we do that as a body? Do we honor those who seem insignificant among us? Or do we honor more the successful, the ones who seem to have it all together? I wonder why this is so hard for us, even in our church, right? Maybe it's because the church, by and large, has been far too influenced by our celebrity culture. Our culture is obsessed with the famous and the powerful. We, and we, as a church, have celebritized pastors with big, with big personalities. Again, don't misunderstand me. There are many godly, famous pastors out there. Don't think I want you to stop reading or listening to them. But what if we bought into this idea, that the weak and vulnerable should be more honored among us? When we're actually convinced of that, then I think the way we relate to each other will change. Then we can suffer and rejoice together, as as Paul says in verse 26. Then the body will function as one. I mean, that's just the way the body works. Members in the body do not have isolated experiences. When a member of the body is hurting, we have to learn to care for it. I mean, imagine what would happen if you break your leg and you ignore it, right? Your whole body is affected 
when your, body, when your leg is broken and you have to care for it. Do you know what it's called when we not only rejoice together, but also suffer together? You know what that is? That's called love. Love is the thing that will allow us to be in solidarity with one another. Member to member, all caring for one another. Love is that important in the life of the body. You can't have a healthy body without love. I mean, isn't any wonder that the next chapter in 1 Corinthians is all about love? I mean, just listen to this. I know nobody's getting married, but listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, the world might find that very corny, but we find it very beautiful. Because love shows us who God is. God is love, John says. It's in God's character to love His own body. That's the the testimony of the Hebrew Bible. Listen to this from Ezekiel 16. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of for love, and I spread the corner of my garments over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. The Lord, Yahweh, took Israel and married her. And did you catch what the Lord did after? He bathed her with water. He baptized her because He loves her. Here's the testimony of the apostles. Jesus is the God of Israel. So Jesus puts us in the same body that He loves He's married His church, and He loves her as His own body. Jesus became one of us. He took on flesh and blood. But what did we do with Him? We assaulted Him. We put Him to death. Yes, Jesus suffered. But He suffered in solidarity with us on that cross. Because Jesus loves His own body. He nourishes her. And He cares for her. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Jesus nourished us with His own body. Jesus' body was broken. That that uh, that um, we... (laughs) as his body might be whole. Uh, Let me end with this reflection and a word to my son, who is being baptized this morning. I want you to get this into your head and into your heart. You can't love God without loving his body. 
It is impossible. John puts it like this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, you can't divorce your love for God and your love for his church. Because God has united himself to her. What God has enjoined, let no man separate. Matthew 19. Now my wife will tell you, I've been thinking about this quote for a very long time. And it's this. I hope you go home and think about it yourself. Uh, One writer said, The problem is that there is a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to our brothers and our sisters who don't look like us. Brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood. That's powerful. Is the gospel powerful enough to you, to reconcile you to members of Christ's body. Because our bodies are meant to be instruments of love. Love for the body. Love reconciles us to one another. So, as members of the living God, what will you do with your body? Will you use your hands to serve others? Will you see others with grace and mercy? Will you walk the extra mile for those who are vulnerable? Will you speak words of compassion to the broken? What will you do with your body for the body? Now I want to speak uh, for a moment to my son. I hope you can kind of reflect on it yourself as well. And so my son, I know you can't understand me right now, uh, but look around you. You can't even do that, huh? Uh, These are your family. These people are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you grow older, there will be times when you will be in despair. There will be moments when you will feel insignificant. You might feel like you don't belong like you're an outsider. You might feel like a, uh, like a rear end. I wasn't allowed to say um, a word that I wanted to say. Like you're behind everybody else, no, no pun intended. Like no one sees your worth. But don't despair, my boy. You might be my poo-poo boy, but you're the Lord's beloved. He loves every member in his body even when you feel in despair. Uh, But at your best, don't become arrogant. Remember the gifts that you have are just that, a gift. My son, learn to love the church. Lay down your pride and love her with all you have. Let us pray. Our Father, you are full of kindness and compassion. 
thank you for the perfect and unfailing sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would continue to work powerfully in our midst, even during our busy weeks ahead. Help us to remember that when we feel broken and sinful, you are our God. Your body was broken and your blood was poured out that we might be cleansed and nourished. Help us when we are in despair and are arrogant with members in your body. Give us grace to cling tightly to you all the week long. We pray in the name of him who bled and died for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.